Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Along with the Twitter page, please follow and turn on post notifications at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. And that will allow you to stay on top of all the biggest news whenever it is released all in one place. So that way you don't have to follow 30 or 40 different pages. You get all the biggest news all in one place. Now definitely follow that on Twitter. I repeat, at JTime Sports. It also gives show updates as well. But in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's happening in the association. We will be discussing the anniversary of when the world shut down due to COVID. And lastly, we will be having our best for last. Now, hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the show. I have to say that every week I do this, it seems like I know I'm going to lead with. I do a topic list the night before. I even make sure I wake up the next morning to make sure that, hey, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I know exactly how I'm going to do this. I know exactly what's going to lead the show, what's going to go here, what's going to go there. And then breaking news, conveniently, always conveniently for me, comes out of nowhere, and we have a new lead story. I came into today thinking I'm going to leave with Dak his big giant contract we're still going to talk a lot of Dak don't worry about that but breaking news all of about an hour ago uh broke about 7:15 that Cam Newton has re-signed with the New England Patriots on a one-year deal now initial reports was like oh it'll be just for a little bit more money than it was last year which last year as you guys know basically was for a million dollars effectively it was for the veteran minimum because we were against the cap by we i mean the Patriots. i am a Patriots fan uh the Patriots were against the cap uh we didn't have any money we also didn't have a quarterback cam was looking for a home we were looking for a playmaker when, when two people have a need uh, can be solved with a general consensus of an idea use that's how a deal gets consummated and so a deal was consummated and cam was brought on for a one year basically one million dollar deal so when it was reported that this deal was for a quote unquote a little bit more i was thinking two maybe three you know bill belichick did make a point last year and saying that how we didn't have any money you know we only paid cam newton a million dollars maybe he got bumps him up to three i was thinking at most five turns out this bad boy is for one year 14 million dollars which for a starting quarterback in the NFL, especially for a veteran, is still incredibly cheap. Obviously, for a rookie, it's expensive because rookies only making anywhere from eight to ten million dollars, except for that fifth-year option. But for a starting NFL quarterback and a veteran, one year, fourteen million dollars for a guy who knows the system, for a guy who knows how it works in New England, who knows the Patriot way. Uh, you, you heard him on I Am Athlete, uh, Brandon Marshall and Chad Johnson's podcast, and he was talking about New England and how it is different and how the stories of people that say they come from New England and that is so tough. He didn't really get it because he just started his hard work, keeping your head down, making sure you work. And then because they came about COVID last year and he was like, you know, the offense kept going. He used a car analogy. It was kind of a long one, but basically saying that he stopped off for gas on the road trip and everybody else kept going. And then when he got back, he can never catch up. So he, but he stopped off, unfortunately, due to COVID. He was out for two, two weeks 
And in those two weeks, the Chiefs, the, not the Chiefs, sorry, the Patriots offense progressed to a level that he couldn't catch up. And so with that being said, now he gets the full offseason because remember, he was only brought in about a month before the season started. Now he gets a full offseason. Now he gets a preseason. Now he gets a year in the system. Now he knows he's back in the locker room. Now he knows, okay, I should start training this specific way for this specific team because one coordinator may use Cam differently than Josh McDaniels may use him. Now he knows, okay, I can start throwing to Jacoby Myers. I should start throwing to Gunnar Olszewski. I should start, you know, throwing to the other people in New England. I should start calling for agent receivers. Hey, I'm in New England. I need a couple of guys. Allen Robinson, well, he got franchise tag. But Kenny Galladay's of the world. He, he likes Odell Beckham. See if he can get a trade with Odell Beckham. Uh, there's a couple of good tight ends out there. Jesse James, Hunter Henry. Cam, get on the phone now. And as a representative of the Patriots, can make those phone calls to see if he can procure one of the top weapons in free agency. But this is a huge deal for Cam. Many people thought that his career may have been over or to the point where any opportunity to secure a long-term deal or not even long-term deal, but a big money deal is pretty much out of the window. And that is changed now with this deal in New England. Now, Adam Schefter did report that this does not stop the Patriots from making another move. So I believe it takes them out of chases such as Deshaun Watson, chases like Jimmy Garoppolo, hopefully, uh, as a Patriots founder, not want Jimmy Garoppolo back. Uh, I know that's been a topic of big circulation and a lot of the media. Oh, the Patriots are the number one plan is Jimmy Garoppolo. I chuckled. I mean, who, who's been right on a New England Patriots plan in the last 20 years? Every time they put us on a mock draft, people go like, oh, for seven. Like, we're, like, we're the only team that, like, when they do a three-round mock draft or a two-round mock draft or even a first-round mock draft that nobody ever gets our pick right. Like, I didn't even get our pick right last year. I think I got the position. Right? I don't remember who we drafted in the first round last year. Two perfect games off the top of my head. Um, but nobody ever gets the, the Belichick plan right. I honestly think at this point he's leaking stuff to the media just for them to put it out just to see the reaction for other people. And so uh, with Jimmy G being rumored to be our number one plan, quote unquote, I kind of ruled that out mentally, but I can't put anything past Bill. So obviously I'm going to keep my eye on that situation for you guys and for myself as a Patriots fan. But this is a big day in New England. We have our guy back. Uh, I do. I think Cam Newton is a five. Is there, I think Cam Newton is an eight, nine year solution. I do not. Do I think Cam Newton is a five year solution? Probably not. Do I think Cam Newton is a hell of a two to three year solution? Absolutely. You play well this year, sign a two, three year deal. You play that out in the last year of the deal. Either renegotiate the cap hit down, extend some years on it, or begin to look for the next quarterback of the future or do both. Uh, which would be the ultimate plan, I think, for Bill. What he would love is for Cam to the, captain the team, lead the team for the next two, three seasons. And then then in that second or third season of the two or three seasons to draft the quarterback uh, to find the guy. Because next this quarterback from where they're sitting, this quarterback draft is not very good. Um, Trey Lance has his pro day today. Um, Trevor Lawrence will be gone. Zach Wilson will be gone um, Justin Fields presumably will be gone. Trey Lance may be there if nobody moves, but when there's a quarterback available, people go start moving. So I doubt Trey Lance will be there. You'll have a guy like Mac Jones. 
developmental project at best. But if you're bringing back Cam Newton, there's no reason to draft Mac Jones. You draft the, probably the best weapon available offensively, which could be a Jalen Waddle. It could somehow be a Kyle Pitts. It could be a Rashawn Bateman. You know, you just draft the best offensive weapon available to help out Cam Newton. And then, you know, you continue to build the offense through the draft. And next year, quarterback draft looks even weaker at the moment. But that could be where you get a project, you know, quarterback where you draft pick 20 something and you grab JT Daniels from Georgia. You grab Miles Brennan from LSU. You grab one of these quarterbacks that may not be a finished product, but then you have a couple of years left for Cam Newton to teach, to instruct, to show how to be a pro. So that's what I would think that the Patriots would do. But if you think, do you know the Patriots plan? Bill's probably laughing at you because you have no idea what he's actually trying to do or what he's actually going to accomplish. But shifting to the story that would have been and would have led my show today, Dak Prescott finally has his contract extension from the Dallas Cowboys. And what an extension it was. Four years, $160 million. It can be incentivized up to $164 with $126 million guaranteed. He also gets the biggest signing bonus in NFL history. He gets the most fully guaranteed money in NFL history. And he gets $75 million in the first year. So in 16 months, Dak Prescott would have earned about $109 million with no state tax in the state of Texas. Dak Prescott's living large. Um, but when I when I studied this deal and I looked at this deal and I went through it and I combed through it as much as I could with the information I could find, I was left thinking, why didn't this deal happen sooner? I mean, there was no reason for it not to happen sooner. Literally, Dak Prescott got everything he wanted. He got the no tag clause. He received a no trade clause. He got $40 million a year. He's the highest paid quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes, based on annual per year value. I, I, I don't know why this doesn't get done. I mean... For Jerry Jones' sake, all you did was get taken to the cleaners a little bit later than you could have. And actually, for more money than you would have. Had you signed this deal last year, the Deshaun Watson deal doesn't quite yet exist. So maybe you get him for a little less. Maybe you get him even put the fifth year. You signed him two years ago, which is when he was first eligible for an extension. You may get him for $32, $33 million. Sign him for a four or five year extension. And now you got an absolute bargain right now because you would have tacked it on. Maybe you still throw the franchise tag and attack it onto that, and you can do all kind of cap cap machinations. But instead, you get all the years Dak wants four instead of five. You get forty million dollars instead of thirty-two. You get this massive signing bonus. You get this massive guaranteed money. I don't get it, Jerry. You kind of—I mean—and I get it. People are saying, "Oh, but Stephen Jones does that now." What did Jerry Jones say at that press conference? Anything I have overpaid for turned out to be great. If anybody would take me for a ride financially, I'm glad it was the guy sitting to the right of me. Yeah, we can say what we want about Stephen Jones taking control of the Cowboys. He might do day to day now. Jerry might be over that. He might do, you know, minor contracts. He might... Do you know he might renegotiate a contract for 
some practice squad player. Okay, that, that, that might be Stephen Jones. But Jerry Jones' name was on that contract. Jerry Jones signed it. And Jerry Jones is still the general manager, the CEO, owner, and voice of the Dallas Cowboys. If you think otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. He pretty much told you plain as day. But speaking of Jerry in that press conference, he regaled us with the story about how people crushed him when he bought the Cowboys and saying he overpaid and all this other stuff. And he shouldn't have had to pay that, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, you know, ooh, well, I really got screwed there. I ended up with the Dallas Cowboys. Look at that. And uh, it was meant to say that even though the media and people outside, maybe even Jerry Jones himself, may think he overpaid for Dak Prescott. He ended up, like you said, with the Dallas Cowboys the first time, and he's hoping that Dak Prescott is just as fruitful as the Dallas Cowboys have been, which under Jerry Jones' ownership, they have three championships. Uh, They very well could have five or six if Jimmy Johnson stays around. Who knows? But they do have three championships. They are the most highly valued franchise, professional sports franchise on planet Earth. And so Jerry Jones is looking like I have done a pretty good job as an owner here. I've done a pretty spectacular job. So maybe he is looking like, hey, if I can hit rich again on Dak Prescott, the same way I hit rich in the oil field and hit rich with the Cowboys, maybe that is the way to go. So he was definitely excited about that. Dak Prescott obviously has earned it. He's, he waited in the water of the franchise tag. He suffered a broken ankle. Uh, he was walking pretty well uh, at the press conference from what I could tell. I mean, I didn't really notice any limp. So that is good to see there. But he was smiling ear to ear. So maybe the adrenaline of putting his name on that contract. And as soon as he signed, he probably heard his phone ding. And it was a direct deposit for 70-something million dollars or 50-something million dollars, whatever the signing bonus was. So Dak Prescott was in a hell of a spot yesterday. So kudos to him. Kudos to his family. Um, kudos to everyone else, you know, that's involved with the Prescott camp. And kudos to Todd France for staring down the barrel of the Jerry Jones gun and ultimately not folding and getting your contract the deal. He Getting your client the contract and deal he was looking for. Well, that brings me to what's going on with the quarterback carousel. So now we can officially take the Dallas Cowboys off of the list of interesting quarterback spots. Now they just go back to what they were, um, which is pretty much a 9-7 ball club who can win the NFC East. We'll talk about that more in the future. Um, But speaking of the NFC East, the Washington football team still only has one quarterback on roster. That is Taylor Heineke of Tampa Bay Buccaneer playoff game fame. Um, He is not the answer at quarterback. By any means, Ron Rivera knows that. Unfortunately for Washington, they made the playoffs, which is odd to say. But they made the playoffs, and they don't pick until pick 20, I believe they are. They're 20, 21, 18, 19, somewhere in there. But they're way upper teens, and they don't pick until then. And so this is a situation where Washington cannot get a quarterback where they sit. They cannot get a functional NFL starting quarterback where they currently sit in the NFL draft. They can't do it because if you look at it, your best bet is Mac Jones. Your worst bet is Kellen Mond. 
I mean, you're you're in a spot where if you just sit at 20, let's say they're 20, you just sit at 20 and you just wait. You say, okay, that picks off the board. That picks off the board. That picks off the board. And you wait till 20 and you pull out. Who are the quarterbacks left? It's Kyle Trask. It's Kellen Mond. It's no one that anybody pegs as a franchise changer or as a franchise quarterback. It is one of those two or some other guys in that similar talent level. Nothing that'll change your franchise. And yet you're drafting them in the first round, anointing them as the future of the franchise, which is going to be a hard sell to the Washington fan base. That is a very smart, very savvy football fan base. So they have something to solve. I say this is a good spot for Sam Donald, but we will definitely be keeping our eye on that. Chicago also with the whole Nick. They only have one quarterback on roster, too. It is currently Nick Foles of Philadelphia Philly special fame. Obviously, Uh, they are trying to save the job of the GM and the head coach. And I don't think Nick Foles is the quarterback to do that. We will definitely be watching them. They're connected to our next topic, which is Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. They are connected to him. They are connected to Deshaun Watson. They are connected to Jimmy Garoppolo. He becomes available. Uh, The Chicago Bears are looking to make a move. Ironically, they just, I don't know, drafted Deshaun Watson when they set up Mitchell Trubisky. They're not in this position right now. But unfortunately for them, they did draft Mitchell Trubisky instead of Deshaun Watson from the same conference. I don't know how that happened. But now they're trying to rectify it with either acquiring Deshaun Watson or by getting a Russell Wilson or by getting a stud in the draft, which, again, similar to Washington in their current draft position, is going to be hard to do it because Chicago also made the playoffs and lost a few draft spots. And like I said, in their current playoff position or their current draft position, rather, would be rather hard to procure a franchise leader at the quarterback position. Seattle is honestly I'm upset with Seattle right now. I'm upset with Seattle. I'm upset with the media in general. Um, Russell Wilson has been a model of franchise leadership, a model of Christian faith, a model of the right team guy, the kind of guy that, you know, if you had a daughter and she brought home Russell Wilson, you'd be pretty comfortable. You know, you're pretty happy about that. Uh, a guy who's all about family, faith and football. A guy who is, like I said, been a Walter Payton Man of the Year Award recipient, who has a Super Bowl championship, who is known throughout the league as a leader and a guy that you want to be around, who is now being dragged through the mud in the media because for about a week, he got a little prickly. He showed emotion that wasn't team friendly for about a week. And he's continuing to be... There's stories leaking out all over the place about how, oh, this would really happen during that Legion of Boom run and while the guys are traded. Which, you know, the stories, the, the rumor has it that uh, there's been widely reported that when they made, when Pete Carroll made a decision to throw instead of run, and they tried to make Russell the hero instead of beast mode, and it didn't work, it turned a lot of the, the big voices in that locker room against not only Pete Carroll, not only uh, the management team, but it turned them against Russell Wilson, who was seen as a figure of the establishment, basically. Um, the guys like Brandon Browner, the guys like, um, I think Brandon Brown was a Patriot at the time, but the guys like Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Marshawn Lynch, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Michael Bennett, were all cut from similar cloths 
that Russell wasn't cut from. And so those rough riders and those tough guys turned on ultimately and spoke out against him, was anti Pete Carroll, who was they all got traded shortly after, and Russell Wilson, who was seen as a sign of the establishment. And so they had to move on from those guys to give Russell his clearance to be him. But regardless of that situation, that is the only time it has ever been a negative thing towards Russell Wilson. And that was basically from getting a little too chummy with the management establishment, according to the players who were frustrated about the Super Bowl loss to the New England Patriots. But he got a little prickly. He says oh, he they need a bit of offensive line play. He'd like input. He, he wasn't typical Russell Wilson, Mr. Go Hawks. And now the media and former players and reports are treating him like he's the worst person on the planet. People, former players are saying, man, he should be thankful. They paid him twice. What? You got the media saying, you know, guys like Stephen A. Smith saying, oh, um, he doesn't look very good right now. What? You got you got people on other shows saying, I don't, I don't like how Russell Wilson's portraying himself. What? How does that make sense? You have guys like Aaron Rodgers who are constantly prickly, who are constantly talking about what they need and whatever they want. And you know what the response is? Oh, that's just Aaron Rodgers. That's just Aaron. That's Aaron being Aaron. Maybe he doesn't have somebody at home to bounce this stuff off. That's just Aaron being Aaron. What? Tom Brady started showing his backside a little bit in, uh, in the past 12 to 16 months. You know what the response was? Oh, Tom is letting his hair down because he's no longer in New England. Tom, Tommy's letting his hair down. He's he's Florida Tom now. And yet Russell Wilson is seen as some sort of negative, as some sort of person that he doesn't look good right now. That he not is portraying that Russell Wilson we know and love. That he's not a robotic guy at the microphone saying go Hawks. Yeah, Russ, I'm going to give you a pass on this one. You got a little frustrated. It happens. I'm not going to sit here and say that calling out the guys who are tasked with blocking for you is the best strategy on planet Earth. No. But you're allowed to have emotions. You're allowed to have feelings. This feels very no fun league, which is what they usually joke the NFL stood for with the no fun league when they took out the celebrations and they took out certain cleats and they took out this and took out that times of expression. And they named it the No Fun League. Well, this is feeling like the No Fun League media edition. And everybody has an issue with Russell Wilson when guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers seem to not get that same treatment for similar, if not more egregious acts. But one thing that was finalized, one thing that was became, or that did became, not was became, wow. Then something that did become final was the NFL salary cap, which was set at $182.5 million. Now, one thing that you can do, and one thing that I can you can learn from the salary cap is that that 182.5 is a quote-unquote hard cap. So it's not like the NBA where they have the bird exception, bird right exception, where you can go over the cap, you can go over, you know, let's say it's 182.5, you can go over that to sign a player who has so many invested years. They have mid-level exceptions for $5.3 million. They have taxpayer exceptions. They have uh, rules, right? They have all kind of rules, rules. They have all kind of exceptions where they have a hard cap 
They have a salary cap. Then they have what they call a soft cap. Then they have a luxury tax threshold in the NBA. Um, It's it's very convoluted, um, but they have a lot of different ways to circumvent the cap. In the NFL, that's not very many. Um, There's not very many at all ways to circumvent the cap or get around the cap or get more cap space. But one of them is the rollover rule. So basically, if you don't spend certain cap, uh, you end the season with $10 million of cap space. You know, you just didn't spend it. You can roll it over from one year to the next year. So even though teams have a quote unquote salary cap of $182.5 million, certain teams have what they I would like to call spending power of etc. So even though the salary cap is $182.5 million, the Dallas Cowboys have a spending power of $207 million because of their salary cap rollover from last year and plus the 182.5 so they had about 25 million dollars of space last year that they were able to roll over to this year the jets have 209 million the patriots have 202 million the broncos have 200 million there's not very many teams under there's only two teams that are under the 182.5 actually nobody's under the 182.5 there's two teams a few teams really with no relief um the whole nfc south None of them break 187.2. The Bucks actually have the most spending power there. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens have 183.1, which is, I mean, they basically are working with the salary cap. Uh, the average for the league is 192.3. So the average team in the league has about $10 million more spending power than they would normally. The Jags have $206 million. The Browns actually have the most, $212.9 million uh, in spending power. So that is huge for when you want to negotiate for agents and you hear, oh, this team has X amount of dollars of cap space. Well, they may have cap space of 30 million, but they roll over some money. So they really have the spending power of like 50 million. Plus you could do things like now the popular thing is to do void years where, you know, you sign a contract is the Patriots did it. Oh, and Drew Brees did it with the Saints. He signed a five year, hundred million dollar deal. But the last three years of the deal were voidable. So it was really a two-year, $40 million deal where he just pulled his signing bonus and stretched it for five years. You know, the, the Buccaneers just did that with Levante David. They signed, he signed a two-year, $25 million deal that was really a five-year, $25 million deal and that pulled his cap hit and his bonus and stretched it five years. So he's only counting $3 million against the cap. Um, you've seen that the Cowboys did that to Jared with Dak Prescott. He signed a four-year, $160 million deal, but really it's a six-year deal with two voidable years that pulled his cap hit from what it could have been of $37 million down to 22. So that was huge for the Dallas Cowboys. And like I said, it's huge that certain teams have more spending power than others because you'll be able to see how teams like, man, how do they get all these guys under the cap? Well, it's because they had spending power and they had a little bit more spending power than the salary cap would dictate. But up next, we are going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down, like I said, in the association now we are fresh off of all-star 
everyone hadn't even played their first game at Fall Star Break. Uh, the Lakers have not played. But let's take a peek back at those standings. In the East, you've got Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Knicks, Hornets, Hawks, Raptors, Pacers. And for the West, we have Utah, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, Denver, Portland, San Antonio, Dallas, Memphis, Golden State. Now, again, like I said, we do 1 through 10 because 7 through 10 does a play-in tournament, which I finally figured out how that worked exactly. So, 7 and 8 will play, and 9 and 10 will play in the first round. If the winner of 7 and 8 gets the 7 seed, so they're, they're in. The winner of 7 and 8 gets the 7 seed. The loser of 9 and 10 are out. So the winner of 9v10 plays the loser of 7v8, and the winner of that game gets the 8 seed. So if you are if you enter the play-in tournament as the 7 or 8 seed, you have to win one out of two games. That's all you have to do. Because if you lose the first game and win the second game, you're in. If you win the first game, you're in. So you just have to win one out of the first two games, so one out of the two games. If you are 9 through 10, you have to win back-to-back. If you lose the nine through ten matchup, you're out. And if you lose the if you lose against the loser of seven v eight, you're out. So it's a little bit more pressure. It's not quite what they had going on with the bubble. You know how their playing tournament was set up, but this is something that is equally as beneficial to uh, the ten seed because the ten seed can end up going from ten to eight. You know he could lose. He could beat the nine seed, then turn around and beat the loser of seven v eight. Now all of a sudden he's the eight seed. So that is huge, and that's why teams like struggling team like the Pelicans, uh, who are only three games back, I believe, from 10th, have hope because they can see and go, man, we just got to get to 10, and then we can play our way into the playoffs. So that is something to definitely watch out for there. Um, looking at or re- rewinding a little bit to All-Star Weekend, or All-Star Day, I should say, quite successful. Um, it didn't feel bogged down. It felt like a little energy was missing. You know, not having the crowd for to me for the first time really affected an event because let's be honest, All Star Weekend's for the fans. And we had events like Slam Dunk that didn't really have big names at all. I mean, Anthony Simons barely plays for the Portland Trailblazers, especially when CJ McCollum is healthy. Uh, Obi Toppin was been hurt for a good part of the year for the Knicks, but he's a you know a regular a real player for the Knicks. He's a rookie, but he was hurt for the most part for the Knicks for the good part of the season. And then you have Cassius Stanley, who spent most of his time in the G League for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants of 2K20 popularity. The first time they put a G League storyline in the game, but you needed energy from the crowd to make that dunk contest. The dunk contest, if you get what I'm saying, you needed people to really get up because Steph Curry got the crowd going in three point contests because he's a shooter. Everybody loves Steph Curry. The players are getting hyped. He scored 30, you know, which is nearly impossible in a three point contest. He put up 30. So the crowd was able to get into Steph, you know, the limited crowd that was there. The, the players were able to get into Steph. Not having the huge names, not having Zion and Zach Levine and John Morant in the slam dunk contest. Um, guys, big names like that, the Aaron Gordon of the world that didn't it didn't provide that flair that is naturally provided when big names enter the dunk contest. It was not there. 
And so with no crowd there, great dunks like Cassius Stanley dunk, that man got in the crowd and going insane was unfairly scored as like a 44. Um, kudos to Anthony Simons for winning. Uh, he had a couple of creative dunks to kiss the rim dunk, which people said, why didn't he kiss the rim? Because he wasn't about to break his teeth for y'all enjoyment. You get the point. And he was up there. He even said like he had to really pucker and practice puckering up to the rim to really sell the kiss the rim aspect because he wasn't going to physically kiss the rim. He could have cut his lip. He could have broke some teeth. He could have bruised his mouth. There was so many things that you did not want to do as to win a dunk contest. And so he did not do that. Kudos to him. But like I said, also props to him for winning, for putting the basketball on the little hoop and go and grab it on the way by with two hands. Not just one or not, he knocked it off and kind of palmed it through the rim. He grabbed it, fingertipped it for the most part, but he grabbed it and was able to dunk it. And he did the he did homage to the T-Mac 360 dunk. So kudos, like I said, to Anthony Simons. Uh, Obi Toppin did pretty well as well. Cassius Stanley, to me, had the best dunk of the night, which was the very first dunk of the night. Um, that dunk was insane. I hope it lives on in slam dunk contest lore. That should have been a 50, but hey, whatever. As for the All-Star game, it became the Stephen Dane show. Um, Embiid and Ben Simmons were contact tracing out due to their barber having COVID. So they were ruled out, which ended up being one of these teams. So it wasn't the biggest of things. I mean, even though Embiid was a starter, the way that game was going, Embiid's abilities probably wouldn't have saved Team Durant. It may have kept Giannis from going 16 of 16, but it definitely might not. Have, it would definitely would not have saved Team Durant because Stephen Dame put on an absolute shooting clinic. I mean, right before half, Dame on the other side of half court from a little past half court nails a three. Nothing but nothing but net. I mean, absolutely drilled it. It was completely beautiful. Steph Curry on the other next possession. Comes down the court, steps one step inside a half court, basically from the same spot, swishes it nothing but net as well. You saw like uh, the game winner when Dame shot over basically an oncoming double team. Steph passed him the ball and did not come down the court. He was waving by, putting his hand up with the three, and Dame steps into a long range one and absolutely drills it. The shooting display those two guys put on was spectacular. Uh, it was helped. It helped out a All-Star game with LeBron to play 13 minutes. So remember when they were first talking about doing the All-Star game, he called it a slap in the face. And he said he'll be there physically, but not mentally. He had a couple of big dunks. He had a couple of big situations just to show he was there. But all in all, he pretty much was out. He did not play at all in the second half. Um not totally unexpected a lot of big name guys didn't play a lot in the second half uh really team durant's big names didn't really play till the elam ending for the most part i mean that's when like Kawhi came off the bench for the first time in a long time and like harden played a good bit though um Kyrie played a good bit as well but like the shooting display from stephen dame completely took over the game i mean it wasn't even kind of Anybody else's show. So I, I, I was fine with Giannis getting the MVP. He broke an all-star record. Most shots made in an all-star game without a miss. It's, like I said, 16. He banked in two threes, swished a step back three, and dunked the other 13 times or laid the ball in. But like I said, kudos to Giannis for doing that. 
So that was impressive. And I guess that does warrant you an All-Star MVP, although I probably would have given it to Dame. But due to the fact that voting is done so long, so often, uh, they start voting really, really early. And I guess that's why it went to Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. And now the big thing this time of year is the buyout market. Or what do you see veterans are going to do? Uh, of course, so one of the bigger names to move so far has been Blake Griffin, as he was bought out by the Detroit Pistons, and he signed with the Brooklyn Nets and will wear number two. Uh, it's pretty big news. Blake Griffin is not Lob City Blake Griffin. This is not going to, this is not 22, 23, 24 points a game, Blake Griffin. Uh, watch your head. He might dunk on you in any moment, Blake Griffin. Can he still play? Absolutely. Will he be a contributor for Brooklyn? Absolutely. Uh, they're not really sure how they're going to use him yet. Reports are it will be a small ball five to try and keep Jeff Green from battling real centers. So Blake Griffin's going to have to toughen up and show a sign of toughness he hasn't necessarily had to show in his career. But he's going to have to do that playing the small ball five for the Brooklyn Nets. Hopefully he adjusts to that well and can show that he can still play this game. Another big man buyout or trade that is looming is Andre Drummond of the Cleveland Cavaliers, or the Cleveland Cavaliers in general, and big men. But obviously the most notable is Andre Drummond. He is expected to not be on the team at the trade deadline, whether that is via buyout or via trade, and he is expected to choose either between the Brooklyn Nets or the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Lakers are in more need of Andre Drummond at this time because Marc Gasol is a glacier who gets a lot of fouls, Montrez Harrell is small, and Marquise Morris shouldn't be anybody's center any moment in life in the league. Therefore, I think that Andre Drummond will be a Los Angeles Laker if and when he gets out of Cleveland. Now, the reason why I say Cleveland centers is because JaVale McGee is also believed to be available. Now, through some rules, um, JaVale McGee can't go right back to the Lakers. So the Cavs can't buy him out or waive him and then the Lakers pick him right back up. Not sure whether that's a thing. Um, I guess you can say collusion, but I mean, pretty much the entire league is built on collusion. I don't know. That feels like a dumb, unnecessary rule, but it is a rule. So in order for JaVale McGee to get back to the Lakers, he would have to get traded and then waived by any other team in the NBA. And then the Lakers can pick him up from that organization. They just can't get him from the Cavs for some odd, strange reason. I heard that rule mentioned yesterday. I thought it was strange because that feels like one of those unnecessary. Like if it's something that you try to like prevent guys from getting traded. Oh, I went out of here and going right back to the team, and so the team that traded for them got nothing. Ah, it just feels unnecessary. It just feels like it's one of those like overkill rules that probably never comes up, so it's never a change. But it just feels like it's an unnecessary impediment, especially for a situation like this. But the rumor is that Cleveland wants out of the older players. That's why they have Jared Allen. I mean, Kevin Love's been linked to a trade since he signed that deal. He is also uh, reportedly available. I don't think anybody wants to take that contract, but he is reportedly available. P.J. Tucker will no longer be with the Houston Rockets. He has requested that he be traded to a contender. And the Rockets have agreed, along with him and his representatives, that he should no longer be with the team or around the team. Similar to what they did with James Harden. You know, they, they agreed that James Harden stayed away from the team as well. P.J. Tucker has officially reached that point. So soon, via buyout or trade, P.J. Tucker will be walking. Uh, where can he go? Obviously, his homie is in Brooklyn, James Harden. And that would probably, it wouldn't solve their small ball five issue, but they give him another tough 
defender who can knock down a corner three, which is something that Brooklyn needs. Uh, the Lakers are also a possibility. Um, they need a defender. They need somebody who can body up a star who, again, can knock down a corner three, something the Lakers need. The Clippers could use him as well. So P.J. Tucker will be on the move that much, we can assure you. Another player that will be on the move and will not be rejoining their team into ever is LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, Greg Popovich announced last night that him, LaMarcus Aldridge and the team have come to similar agreement with P.J. Tucker, that he will be moved, either be a wave, either be a wave slash buyout or a trade, and he will no, he will no longer rejoin the San Antonio Spurs. He has played his last game in a Spurs uniform, similar to what P.J. Tucker has done with the Houston Rockets. Now, a couple of guards that could be moved would be Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors. He has, remember, he has a strong affinity for Kawhi Leonard, and the Clippers are in need of a point guard. Kyle Lowry is 34 years old. Maybe he decides, hey, you know, I've given my all to Toronto. We even got a championship out of it, but I'm 34. And if I can go live in LA and try and compete for another one, I'll go do that. So he decide he may or may not decide to try and get out of Toronto and end up in a LA. End up in a LAL. You know, the, the Lakers aren't solidified at the point guard position. He may end up there. He may end up on a team that is in need of a point guard with championship aspirations. That could be in Milwaukee as well. Milwaukee has Drew Holiday, yes. But Drew Holiday is more of a two than a one. So maybe Kyle Lowry ends up going there. He has plenty of options. And that is definitely for sure. Victor Oladipo is also a guy that could be moved. Now, he turned down an extension from the Rockets, the biggest one they could offer. And, of course, he rejected it. It was two years, I think $45 million. He turned it down, smartly. And so he'll either go into free agency, a completely free man, or he will be traded to an organization who believes they can sign him. Now, where could he land? I'm not exactly sure. He could land it on New Orleans. I'm not sure he would want to sign in New Orleans long term, but he can land it on New Orleans. They're not in a much, much better situation than the Houston Rockets. However, they do have Zion. They do have Brandon Ingram. They do have Lonzo Ball. They do have Steven Adams. Uh, they, do, they do have a better record than the Rockets. So maybe Oladipo goes there. Maybe they involve Eric Bledsoe in the first round pick or something like that to get Oladipo in New Orleans. There is uh, Phoenix. I know him and Devin Booker kind of play similar styles, but they can coexist. And you're going to need somebody after Chris Paul to go alongside of Devin Booker. Um, the Knicks are an option. They could use a legitimate bona fide score. So there's options for Oladipo out there on the market. But up next, we're going to shift to the anniversary of when the sports world shut down, March 11th, 2020. Welcome back in, everyone. Wow, it's been a year since COVID officially wrecked America. Um, you know, when you first hear about diseases and stuff, you think about, you know, the Ebola's and the other stuff like that. Ebola, um, man, there's a couple other stuff. Um, like these massive flus that come out. The bubonic plague showed up a few months ago, stuff like that. You hear about it and you hear, man, it's like three cases in the world or it's isolated to 
a foreign country or whatever. And it never really affects them economically to a certain point. It never affects us. We may have one or two cases um, in the country. So when, you know, COVID, um, at the time it wasn't given a cool name, it was called coronavirus. Um, when coronavirus was in China and in these other countries, your initial thought was, okay, like, it's going to go away in a couple of weeks like all the other stuff does. And then there was a case in New York, and you're like, okay, there's always a case in New York. There's always a case in LA. There's always a case in Seattle. There's always a case somewhere of whatever this disease is. And then it started spreading like wildfire. Well, even then, sports world was kind of fighting it. I mean, arenas were still full. I mean, I was at a game myself, a Pelicans game, not too long before this happened. Um, because to, to get a look at Zion, actually. Um, and it was one of those things where, okay, like, it's it's out there, but who cares kind of thing. It, it hadn't really affected my everyday. It hadn't affected the NBA's everyday. Obviously, I mean, baseball was in season as well. Football wasn't. So it hadn't really affected anything hardcore. And then March 11th, 2020 happened. Now, as a basketball community, we're still reeling and trying to process the fact that Kobe Bryant has left us. I mean, his memorial was on February 24th, all of two weeks before this happened. Um, Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz Center, made light of Kobe. Because it was, it was kind of one of those things. Like, most people thought, like, okay, like, people are catching it, but it's kind of like a really, really bad flu, and, and you'll, you'll be fine. Um, some people may pass away, unfortunately, but for the most part, you'll be okay. Um, he made a joke. He, I think he coughed a couple of times, but he was touching the mics of the reporters and touching the mics with things, saying, oh, I have it, you know, making a big joke of it because they were asking about COVID concerns and players think they're invincible they were all like okay whatever and the next day or a few days later he goes into the jazz facility they test him because they were testing everybody at the time just to make sure and he tested positive and it was minutes before the jazz were about to play minutes before the pelicans and the kings were about to play uh, minutes for several games several games already played that day um like i said or were playing the Jazz were about to well, minutes from their game. The Pelicans were minutes from their game. Um, I remember vividly Lonzo Ball shooting by himself because the game was all of a sudden postponed, but nobody knew what to do. So nobody knew whether to rush out of the arena. I remember the Kings announcer repeatedly saying, everybody remain calm, just orderly file out of the arena, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the players didn't know what to do. Everybody's thinking like, hey, why is the game being postponed? I think the words started getting around that Gobert had COVID. Everybody who recently played Gobert now was starting to panic. Um, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, do you test everybody that that person has played? I mean, they, they try to play a little bit. They try to figure out a way. Like, do you just test everybody that team has played? If they're negative, test before the game. It, it just wasn't working. Um, but Adam Silver spoke about it uh, a couple days ago and said when he initially shut the NBA down, he thought it was going to be a 30-day thing. That give it a month, that, it, that let it basically let it run its course through the country, let it do what it's going to do, we'll be out of this good enough to satisfy people in a month. That the NBA is going to shut down for a month, we'll be back. Uh, obviously, that did not happen. COVID was far worse than any of us really, really anticipated. 
Um, and so it shut down all those sports. It shut down the country uh, for months. Uh, people had a lot of time at home. But you've seen guys come back in the bubble better, uh, better bodies. You've seen rookies get their sophomore body early because they were able to just work out at home. Like John Morant looked better physically. Devin Booker looked different physically, even though he wasn't a rookie. A lot of these, Jokic, man, Jokic's entire body changed during COVID. Tony would say he had COVID for two weeks, lost a bunch of weight because he couldn't eat anything. But he, Jokic's body looks entirely different post-COVID. So it was beneficial to some degree. But at the same time, you know, we were without sports for months, man, months. Uh, we, we even ran out of original TV shows because shows were out of episodes. You know I, mean? I mean, they you know, pre-recorded episodes, they record, you know, two weeks in advance for, like, say, a soap opera. Well, they were out of episodes because they couldn't film. And obviously, they could only do so much. So TV was effectively useless because... There was nothing on original. There was no sports. There was no movies. People held back movie releases. I mean, Fast and the Furious pushed their movie back because they wanted theaters and the ability to sell it. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. Um, there was rumors that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert had fallen out due to Rudy Gobert's care or lack thereof in regards to COVID. There was rumors they had a falling out, a big one rather, and if they weren't going to be repaired, obviously that came out to be not true. Or it turned out to have merit. It just ended up not being the death sentence that was anticipated. Um, it was absolutely, like I said, the image of Lonzo Ball shooting at, on the Sacramento Kings goal by himself. Um, just like little push free throw shots, basically. While the arena's emptying and the NBA's announcing that the season's being paused and postponed and games are being pushed and all this stuff. Um, will never leave my head. It's one of those things where it's like it's a where were you moment. Um, when you find out the NBA was shutting down, and now you know my where were you was sitting on my couch, about to watch a Pelicans game, and then to see that image of Lonzo, like I said, shooting on the Kings goal. Um, it's definitely one of those where were you moments. Um, where were you when you find out Rudy Gobert tested positive, kind of thing. So that is an unfortunate you know anniversary for us but hey it is showing the progress we have now i do the vaccination and stuff like that and i won't get too far into that this isn't a political or medical podcast it's sports podcast but dr anthony fauci was on first take and said that he expects outdoor stadiums to fill up faster than indoor stadiums which is expected and he said that hopefully by the end of the summer early fall we're at capacity which is in line with what the sec football specifically alabama and um, is planning on doing, which is when they come, which is the fall, September, to be full house. That we're at 75% nation vaccination and that we feel comfortable opening up a hundred and some thousand seat stadiums for people to do and to fill up and to have guys everywhere and fans everywhere and being incredibly excited and cheering their favorite team on so th- thankfully we are close to that i am happy about that but up next we're going to do our first social media style best for last in which will be i will be weighing in on the quinn cook proposed 2v2 of lebron james versus and kevin durant versus Larry bird and magic johnson
Alrighty guys, this is why I say I love what I do. We have more breaking news. It broke about mm, 10 minutes ago, about 9, 10. Um, Tom Brady has signed his expected one-year extension with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, it is a one-year extension, but on paper, it is a four-year extension. Remember those void years I talked about? So they put three void years onto Tom Brady's contract. So whatever the extension is for, we haven't gotten the exact number. I imagine it's for... 20 something million dollars he, he played for he originally signed for two years 50 so 25 million dollars a year i imagine this is probably something along those same lines but with those three void years his cap hit is going to be effectively nothing because now you can pull this year's cap hit and next year's cap hit and stretch it over five years so it is an, another effort from brady and another concession from brady in order to try and keep that bucks team together so definitely this is something to watch out for there. And of course, Brady does it again, and he's looking to go get number eight. And now he's made the not so clear that not so quiet thing that he is looking for number nine by signing a one year extension. So good job for the Bucks and Brady to get that worked out before free agency even began, because reportedly they are working on deals with Shaq Barrett and with Indominus Sue, they talked to Leonard Fournette. They spoken with, you know, all their free agents to try and get everybody back because they've already franchised tag Chris Godwin and they've already franchised and they've already agreed to deal with Levante David. But back to best for last. So Quinn Cook, uh, formerly of the Cleveland Cavaliers G League team, uh, he's now a Cavalier again. Formerly of the Lakers and the Warriors uh, has three championships, I believe. Um, I think he's a dookie. Posed a question on Twitter. In their primes, or we're assuming in their primes, but in their primes, who would win a two-on-two between LeBron James and Kevin Durant versus Bird and Magic? Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Uh, he said something along the lines of, y'all know who I'm going with, but let me hear who y'all think will win and why. Um, and this took over a lot bigger. This took off. This is one of those things that, like, you know, Twitter gets a hold of it and it takes off. Um, became national fodder. Um, my thing is, and I agree with most people on this one, I, from what I've seen, that it's LeBron and Kevin is not particularly close. Uh, in a two on two game, it takes away Magic's best ability which is his open floor court vision and his ability to run showtime. Get up and down the floor, 5v5, make all your teammates better, etc. It takes away Larry Bird's, honestly, best ability as well. One of his best abilities as well, which is his passing, his open floor running, and his ability to slip and slide and get away and all of a sudden pop another side of the formation or another side of the court wide open, waving for the ball. Uh, takes away his ability to be a team rebounder, a team defender. Uh, neither neither Larry Bird or Matt Johnson ever been accused of great on-ball defense. Uh, yes, Matt, Larry Bird led the league in defensive win shares for years. However, the Celtics had like one of the greatest defensive runs ever with McHale and Parrish and Dennis Johnson and Larry Bird. I mean, they had uh, Danny Ainge was a good defender. They had a great defensive team. Larry Bird just happened to be the number one guy on that defensive squad. Uh, Magic Johnson led the league a couple of times in steals, but it was you know, deflection steals. He was 6'9", he was smart. He would see the play for the play even happen, and so he would jump a pass. 
you know, stick his hand out or, you know, get credit for a steal. And now we have the official numbers. Sorry for that Tom Brady deal. Uh, it saves $19 million against the cap this season. So absolutely spectacular move as far as Tom Brady could go there to save his team big time money. Um, it, like I said, it saves $19 million against the cap. We, I'm currently tweeting about it now on the Twitter page at JTime Sports. And so the move saves $19 million against the cap. Sorry, I'm, I'm tweeting and recording at the same time. Uh, you, you know, I do this often. We break news. I'm already on it. So this is huge for Tampa Bay. Huge in effort. That's $19 million that you can spend on a Shaq Barrett huge move i mean it's just it's a landscape changing move i uh, i just i'm gonna keep talking about this it's huge because check bear is probably gonna command what 20 million dollars on open market well you just got 19 million dollars free from brady so now you can bring in Shaq bear back pull in a chris got we got chris got on the franchise tag pull in maybe Leonard fournette on a five seven million dollar deal they may just run it back this could be humongous for the Tampa Bay Bucks, wow, huge, 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 huge for the Bucks um, and for the NFL in general. That is absolutely spectacular. I mean, when they said they were committed to trying to run it back, they've already freed up $19 million from Brady. Now you're thinking they could possibly, they can restructure Mike Evans, restructure Ali Marpet to bring back Fournette, A.B. Gronk, and they still have their first round pick this year. So if they don't bring back Fournette, one of the good running backs will still be there, whether it is the kid from UNC, I uh, can't think of his name right now, whether it's Travis Etienne, whether it's Najee Harris. Three running backs are not going in the first round in any draft ever uh, for the next foreseeable future. So they'll be able to get a really good running back in the draft if Fournette decides to move on and go get his payday. Um, this is, wow, a big time move from the Bucks on this one. Now, but back to the two-on-two. Um, so you take away Bird and Magic's, like I said, best abilities. And even though those guys were good stat defenders, they weren't really good on-ball defenders. Uh, Bird was never fleet of foot. Magic being so tall, never really could stay in front of a guard. That's why they usually had smaller guards next to him. Uh, wing defenders, they can put Magic on a person who couldn't shoot. They, they, they found ways to hide Magic Johnson on defense to allow a um, smaller guard, like a Byron Scott, to guard the actual point guard of the other team who was considerably smaller than Magic Johnson, who was running around the court at six foot nine. Um, the tallest player on the court is Kevin Durant. The strongest player on the court is LeBron James. The fastest player on the court is LeBron James. The quickest first step on the court is LeBron James. The best shooter on the court is Larry Burry, probably in front of a set standing still shot, but the best scorer on the court is either is on the LeBron KD side, either one based on points per game. They have two of the top five highest points per game averages ever. Um, or something like that, maybe top seven. They're both around 27, 28 points per game in their careers. This won't be close. In terms of on-ball defense, LeBron James in his prime sits can sit in a chair and he would give Magic a lot of trouble because Magic couldn't just flat out bump him away. Um, and then Kevin Durant's length and his prime defensively that first year in Golden State when he really came to his own as a rim protector 
that would bother Larry Bird. Magic Johnson had a set shot. So he's not particularly the most... He's not a Steph Curry where he's going to pull from 35, 40 feet. And a two-on-two, that could be miserable because now he sets the screen. He's dangerous at 40 feet. Magic Johnson has a set shot. He's I mean, a little bit of a jump, but it was mostly a set jumper. That a set shot, rather. That's not really a big-time threat percentage-wise. Yes, Larry Bird is a great shooter, but he's going to have trouble over Kevin Durant's length because Kevin Durant's quicker than him, uh, more feet of foot, and he's seven feet tall. So that was something that would bother Larry Bird. In a game of 16, which Quinn Cook proposed, I would say out of respect to the legends, 16 to eight, maybe. Um, and that's saying that LeBron's outside shot isn't falling. If LeBron can hit a couple of twos, they're going twos and ones and twos, LeBron can hit a couple of twos, it might be 16 to four, 16 to three. If it's make it, take it, it might be 16 to two because LeBron is gonna live at the rim. Like then neither one magical or Larry Bird can keep LeBron off the goal. So he's going to live at the rim, going to live dunking the basketball. Kevin Durant, I mean, that step back one foot fade, shooting up from 30, the double cross pull up. He's got so many tools in his bag. It's going to be hard for Bird to stay in front of him. His feet were never quick. Magic Johnson was never accused of being anybody's lockdown defender. And so that would be a struggle for them to even get the ball back. Now, if they got the ball first, maybe they can smart basketball all their way to three or four or five points, you know, Bird hits a couple of jumpers, Magic throws a hook shot, Bird hits a fadeaway, you know, you know, they get to five or six quick, but once the ball goes to LeBron and Durant, I don't see how they get the ball back besides LeBron and Durant taking an ill-advised shot and missing, but I just don't see how that happens. So that being said, this was, I would say, a not fair comparison. I would say 16 to 5, 16 to 6 would be the expected score. It depends on make it take it, depends on who gets the ball first, that sort of thing. But if I had to average out, I would say 16 to 6 in favor of LeBron and Kevin Durant over Magic and Bird in the 2 on 2 setting. Now, you give them three guys from Dorchester on either side, you know, some average Joes or even NBA players of average overall, you know, 2K style, you know, they get three AIs apiece that are all certified overall players, you know, then yeah, maybe Magic, Magic and Bird have a hell of a chance then because of the team dynamic of two great passers, two great leaders, one great shooter, the greatest point guard ever, that sort of thing. They have a hell of a chance then, a much better chance than they would in a two on two setting against LeBron and KD. But that is all we have for today's show. Uh, definitely keep your eye on at JTime Sports. News is breaking left and right. So definitely keep your eye there. But this was a fun show, a great show. I love doing this. I love that you guys are part of my weekly routine. And I hope that we can continue to do this for a very long time. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends, subscribe. Uh, listen, hit that download button, and say, and tell your friends about it. So if you guys enjoy, have them enjoy, learn some things too. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.